Today we conclude chapter 4 of Philippians. This makes seven weeks. Seven weeks in a row we've been on this study. And I'm going to ask, have you learned something in this series? Just shake your head yes and make me feel good about all the time I put into all these things. Uh, the, the neat thing about the Bible is we could literally start this series again next week and do another seven weeks and we would still barely scratch the surface of what Philippians is all about. Um, but it's, it's been a long series and so because it has been so long, I'm going to do a little bit of a recap over each week to kind of catch us up to where we need to go. And I want to let you know, this is the first time we've used this mic in a while, so you might hear some tweaking, twanging sound. They're adjusting things because they figured something new out back there, and it's, it's helping us, so they know it. Okay. Uh, in week one, Paul in 52 AD plants a church in a town called Philippi. Philippi was a town full of people who were once war veterans, and this, the, Rome gave them land because Rome did not want all these skillfully, highly, newly trained uh, warriors to come and take over the land of Rome. They had spent time training them to kill and to take over and what to do with the land that they took over. So Rome did not want all these war veterans to gang up against Rome who have been trained on what to do to come into Rome and start battles and take over land and take over people. And so Rome gave them land and said, you guys go way out over here and you start your new lives. And that is where the Philippi is. And that is who Paul is talking to when he plants this church called, or the plants his church in Philippians. Ten years after he planted this church. The Apostle Paul is in prison, and he writes a book, or he writes a letter, and that book or letter is called Philippians, and that's what we have in the Bible. And basically, this, this what they call epistle, just means a letter, is summarizing and reiterating what he talked to them about whenever he was with them in person 10 years earlier. So even the Apostle Paul says sometimes we need reminders. Okay, just, just making sure. In chapter 1, Paul, the major theme of the chapter is uh, Paul shows us that no matter what, you can have joy. Paul is in prison, and he says, I still have joy knowing that Jesus saved me, used me to spread hope, and delivered me from so many things. In this time, Paul is in prison thinking he is going to be killed, and he doesn't question Jesus about why he is where he is. Instead, he says, I am going to have joy no matter what. How many things that happen in our lives go wrong, and we start putting the blame or our thoughts go, Jesus, why are you allowing this to happen to me? I've been a good person. I've been going to church. I've been doing all these things. Why is this happening to me? And uh, what Paul comes back and says, in the craziness of life, everything I've learned, my job is to mature in my faith in every situation that I go through. Coming to a conclusion of week one, there is no circumstance that you can go through that can rob you of your joy if you have what Philippians 1 in your notes tell us you can have and how to live your life. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul says, if you have this mindset, joy can never be taken from you. 
because we fix our eyes on something more than what's going on around us. In week chapter 2, we looked at what Jesus gave up in heaven to come to earth for our salvation. Jesus was a servant. Jesus humbled himself. And whenever Jesus humbled himself, God exalted him. Paul taught us that we have to work out our salvation, meaning praying a prayer doesn't get you saved. You need to work out your salvation. Let me, let me say it this way. When I was at our church in San Diego, um, the amazing thing to see was it not the hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people that gave their life to Christ. We would have a service, and at the end of every service, it would be 200 people that they had given their lives to the Lord. Amazing to see. But what happened was, over the, our time being there, the number of salvations was high, but the number of people who were committed to God were low. They thought if they could just pray a prayer that they would be saved. And so they would come to church, raise their hand, pray a prayer. The church people would be, oh, yippity skippity, we had 200 people saved. And a year later, we look back and those 200 people are still farther away from God than they were when they came and raised their hand that morning. What happened in the time that they raised their hand to the year later? They were not discipled. What I learned was it actually did more harm than good. And you got to follow me closely on this. They prayed the prayer of salvation, but they never truly repented from their sins. What's repent mean? To turn 180 and go the opposite direction. Uh, what happens is whenever we had a higher number of what I would say genuine salvations, it's whenever the people in the church brought their friends into the church, got them plugged into the church, and held them accountable in the church. Whenever they were able to do that, we saw our number of discipleship begin to escalate and climb because it wasn't just, I prayed a prayer, now I'm saved. You won't even find that in the Bible to pray a prayer and be saved. It's a lifestyle commitment that has to be adjusted, and only those who turn 180 degrees from where they were to where God has called them to be will make it to heaven. Paul shows us that if we're truly saved, we have to grow spiritually. In week three, Paul came, and week three coincided with chapter three, Paul came swinging back out of the gate and said, you've got to rejoice always. He said, we've got to get back to the basics of our faith and rejoice Keep joy in front of you. Paul taught us to look out for the group of people that were known as the Judaizers. It's a weird name. These people tried to tell you that what they were teaching was more important than what somebody else was teaching. And Paul comes back and says, you can't cherry pick what you want to believe. You can't cherry pick what you think is acceptable, what you think is important. You've got to teach the whole Bible, live out the whole Bible, and walk according to the Bible. I shared a story on that Sunday about a, a, a gentleman, a, a kid who was applying to be a Morse code operator. And if you were here, you remember the story. But he went in and uh, he beat out seven other candidates for this job because while they were sitting in the room, he understood what the Morse code meant while the other seven applicants didn't pick up on it as they were tapping it out in the back room. 
what I was trying to uh, illustrate there is God is speaking to you all the time, but we have not tuned ourselves in to listening to what he's speaking to and what he's speaking about and what he's trying to tell us. We're so busy doing all these other things with all the noise around us, and, 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 and what we're trying to get here is if God is speaking to you, we want to be in tune, and we know that God is speaking to us. In week four, Paul taught us to press on towards the goal. We're still in chapter three, but this is one of my favorite uh, sermons in this series because of these two verses in Philippians 3. Let's look at our outline as Adrian reads them for us. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. The word reveal means a higher level of obedience, meaning those who are mature in Christ walk in a higher level of obedience than those who are infants in Christ. Jesus said, go and make disciples. He didn't say go and make converts. Every religion in the world tries to make converts. Converts don't have the heart of Jesus. If they did, they would purpose in their hearts to follow Jesus and live out what that looks like. The difference between a convert of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus are two different things. I'm preaching kind of hard, but it's right. Our mission is we are a spirit-filled church leading people to become halfway, partially, on Sunday only, devoted disciples. There you go. No. No. <laughs> We are a spirit-filled church leading people to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. Our mission is why we do what we do. And if the, the goal is only to see people raise hands, the mission, or I could say the Great Commission, because I took this straight from the Bible, if you've ever read your Bible, would never be fulfilled. Because we have to become fully devoted disciples. In week five, we looked at the first few verses of chapter four, and Paul shows us what a healthy church is supposed to look like. And in all reality, it wasn't just a healthy church. It's a healthy believer. It's a healthy person. What a healthy marriage looks like. What a healthy relationship looks like. You can apply it to anything and everything. But he was specifically talking to the church in Philippi. We said, number one, you have to have a big heart for lost people. You have to have a big heart for found people. <laughs> We have to, number two, have a firm stance for people. We love them, but we don't approve or support the ungodliness. You guys are quiet. It's because we didn't have drums and stuff, huh? You didn't really feel like you came in here and get all pepped up and excited. But number three, you have to have a warm embrace for people. We address 
wrong aspects of people, and if we don't do it in love, we will turn them away from what God has called us to be. It's not about pushing them away. It's about showing them the love of Christ, and you can do so if you go in with what we call a, or what Paul calls a warm embrace. Number four, he said you have to have a merry soul. Be joyful. Uh, If a non-believer got around you, would they want to serve the God that you serve? If you're a sad sack, depressed, melancholy, ain't nobody want that. Uh, Number five, you have to have a soft touch. This one is key. Because if you come across the wrong way, we may be right in principle, but wrong in method, and we can lose someone. You see? Uh, Like what I just did. Maybe wrong in principle, Right and method, but okay, if you're trying to prove that you're smarter than someone else or that, they're, that why they're so wrong or why they're so messed up, then, then you, you may have won the battle of making you feel good, but you lost the war of reaching those people. And, and what Paul is telling us that we, we have to have a soft heart when it comes to sharing our faith and, and talking about what God has called us to do. Uh, and then week six, which was last week, We talked on how to deal with anxiety. Number three, literally, it's laid out in the Bible. Just read it. It said, number one, does anybody remember last week? Prayerful, number one. Prayerful, number two. Thankful, number three. Think right thoughts. I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that one because I promise you, every single person in here deals with worry. Everybody does. So go back to our website, watch that message on how to deal with worry because Jesus says you don't have to worry. That leads us to today. Let's finish out Philippians strong in seven minutes. <laughs> I have a, um, an eight-year-old daughter, Abigail, and she's in this phase of always asking for something. Uh, can I have a sweet? Can I have money? Can I have this? Can I have that? The other day, Adrienne took him shopping. They came back with the full wardrobe, and then she doesn't even show me. She just takes the bag, throws it in her room, and comes back and says, Hey, can I have I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You just went shopping and got all this stuff, and I stopped her. The, the, she just always asks for stuff. The girl, if I can say it this way, is never content. Uh, she, she comes by it naturally, though. It's a, it's, I'm a, I'm a, it's a Chapman thing. We, 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 we like our stuff. My Aunt Nancy said a couple weeks ago, and it just solidified it for me, that, um, that Chapman's like stuff. But she said it with a little draw. She's like, Chapman's, we like our stuff. And, and she said, I love going on Amazon because I can just click that button and I got stuff. I I go out to the front door, and I'm like, oh, I got stuff. Somebody loves me. And I go look at the box. I'm like, oh, it's me. I love me. Oh, oh, I love myself. Oh, I just love stuff. And And I jokingly use that as an example. But what I think that summarizes the human nature is we want more stuff. We want more. Uh, We want the latest fashion trend. We want the white woodwork in the house when that's fashionable. We want the barn door sliding when that's fashionable. Uh, I, w- I guess the new one right now is gold. Is that right? Gold. I was in the house the other day, and she was very much, and she was like, it's all about gold and Chanel and all this other weird stuff. And, and, and she was like, 
I, I go every time there's a new pattern. She's like, I go and get a whole new bedroom set. I get a whole new front interior, and she redesigns her house every time. I'm just like, oh my goodness gracious, she just she's not content. She just wants stuff, and uh, we are training ourselves to be discontent. A year ago, I'm going to throw myself under the bus. Um, I, I told Adrian, I said, hey, I'm going to sell the house. I called your husband and said, hey, we're going to sell our house. And she's like, why? I, I don't know. I just, I just like change. And came back to it. She talked me out of it. But it was like, I thought we should sell our house. I had no reason why we should sell our house. I just wanted to change. I go into my savings account and move money from one account to the other just because I don't want it in the same spot. I just like change. Anybody else like change? No, just me. I can't. What? No, not that much. I, I just love change. I don't know why. For some people, the grass is greener on the other side. Uh, some people, I'm not going to name any names, Taylor, that said, if we could just move to the Smoky Mountains, that would be really cool. I did that several years ago, didn't I? I was like, hey, let's just go to the Smoky Mountains. I've always wanted to be there. Let's go live there. And let's go. Why? There's no reason. Hey, let's go live at the beach in San Diego. Why? There's no reason. Just She was being we like change, and we begin to look at things, and we start looking at our life and say, if I just had a better husband, you wouldn't say that. If I just had a better husband, Sternberg and Terrence, looking at you two over here, I'm just kidding, then my life would be so much better. If I just had the latest Louis, 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 oh. You guys all said that with a little bit of conviction. <laughs> if I just had the latest Louis Vuitton purse, life would be so much better. If I could just, if my husband would just be a better cook. Sorry, never going to happen. Things would just be better. We start imagining and dreaming and thinking up of this. If something was just different in my life, it would be better. Let me tell you, I've had so many people tell me, I'm going to go to Africa and start winning souls. Let me tell you, if you're not winning souls here, you're not going to win souls in Africa. You want something different because you think something different is going to be better for you. I haven't started yet. We are training ourselves to be discontent where we're at. And I, I, my dad did a message one time. I don't remember what it was called. I just now thought of it. Tent, discontent, which tent do you live in? Something like that. that that's the idea. And it's, it, if you live in discontent or content, you got to pick which tent that you're going to live in. Because if you choose discontent, your tent is going to fall over. Your tent's going to get rained on. It's going to go, go kapow. It's going to get blown away in the wind. So which contentment that you live in will determine if you can walk in joy? Well, how do I tie that back in? Okay, you guys start seeing it. All right. We're going to, we, we are always trying to um, find contentment in things that don't bring us fulfillment. The grass is greener over there. Let's look at our final, or the, the these eight verses real quick. And she's going to read, it's kind of long, but follow along as she reads Philippians 4. And we're going to run this sucker bad home. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. 
for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. It says in verse 12, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The secret that Paul talks about to have joy no matter what is coming to the realization of coming to the understanding I can do all things through Him. Through Him. Who strengthens me. How do I become content when I do things through Jesus? Contentment is not an internal power you are born with. It is a decision that you have to make. You can only find contentment in biblical convictions. Our convictions govern our sense of contentment. Paul did not let his circumstances determine his contentment. It was his convictions. Did you follow me? You guys are quiet. Did you follow that? Does that make sense? Am I the only one up here? Okay. Look in your outline, green ink. True, this is worth coming for today. You can leave after this. True biblical contentment is a conviction that Christ's power, Christ's purpose, and Christ's provision is sufficient for every circumstance. You guys will get that one later. We have to learn how to walk in adversity, believing that no matter what circumstance comes our way, our contentment is knowing that Jesus is sufficient for every lost person, for every sick person, for everything that we encounter in this world. Our world lives in a constant state of discontentment. We try to fill the void in our lives that you can't satisfy. We got to have the latest uh, clothes, the latest phones, the latest whatever it may be. And, and, and what happens is you're trying to find fulfillment in your life in the stuff and that stuff cannot bring fulfillment. I am not saying that stuff is bad. What I'm saying is contentment will never be found in materialism. This is the direction that Paul is trying to guide us. The only place you will find contentment is leaning into biblical convictions that cause you to take on the nature of who Jesus Christ is in your life.
The mistake most people make is not understanding the difference between contentment and complacency. Um, contentment is you are satisfied while on your way to a higher level or self-improvement. A friend of mine at our, at our previous church um, said, I'm happy with being poor because that is genuine contentment in being like Jesus. <laughs> I was nice in my response, but what I was really thinking, no, you're just lazy. You're just lazy. You are complacent. There's a big difference. Paul says that we are to press on towards the goal, the prize. If we are to be content, how do we become a person who presses on? Isn't that a contradiction? When you are content, you are still making forward progress on your spiritual pathway. When you are complacent, you are standing by idly waiting for something to come to you. How do we become content while having forward motion? We learn our contentment comes in knowing it is Jesus who gives us the strength to accomplish the assignment that has been prepared for us. I can do all things through Christ. Our contentment is when we are fulfilling the part of the story that God destined for us. When we are finding our fulfillment in who Christ is in our lives. When we find our fulfillment in the biblical convictions that we have that align with the Word of God, you can become content that in all things it will work together for the good of God. Whenever we're going through something, we can't look at it and saying, God, why? but rather God, what? What are you trying to teach me in this? What are you trying to get me to learn or to know or to do or to achieve or to accomplish? What is the biblical conviction that I have that I'm not going to be, uh, I'm not going to allow the circumstance to steal my joy? I'm not going to allow the circumstance to get me off kilter. And I'm not going to allow what happened to someone else affect me. Write that down. We're going to talk about that later. You can't, you can't allow the, the, the circumstance of what happened to someone else to affect you and what you believe. There's gold in that one. I can feel that one coming on me. Okay. Uh, Kern, if you'd come up. Uh, for 10 years, I've been um, let me be transparent. I, I've been not content. I'll just put it that way. I've moved around. We went from San Diego to Tulsa to help a church in Texas, and um, when we came here, uh, I just wasn't content. Um, you ever been there? You think you do something, you think that's going to be the key, and it's not the key? That's how it was. And then in August of this last year, you can go ahead and start playing something pretty. 
things by heart. That's probably what I need. Um, and then in August of this last year, something changed in me. I was in our home. Everyone was gone. I was praying, seeking the Lord, and I just, I felt something come over me. And I don't want to tell you what it is because I'm not 100% sure, but I, I think I know. But when that came over me, it began to change the way I thought. It began to change the way I saw things. I was talking to my mom on the phone on Wednesday, and I said, I'm happy with what God's doing in me. 39 years it took me to get to a place of being content. Because I started following the biblical convictions that I had in my heart. I put aside a lot of things in order to have a job, to make money, to go do all these things. And in August, something happened in me. Something came on me. We went up to Tulsa a couple weeks ago, which secretly we had hoped about moving back there one day. We drove through there, we came home, and we were like, why in the world would we want to ever move back there? This is where God has called us. We were up in Edmond yesterday. I've kind of, we almost bought a house in Edmond a while back, uh, right when we first moved here. We were driving just right around the intersection from where the house was at. And I'm, I look over at Adrienne, I'm like, aren't you so thankful for what God's done? Aren't you? Because it's by the biblical convictions that we live our life, fulfillment and contentment can come. And what happens is if you live your life in such a way where you're just doing your own thing, you never get what Paul talks about in this chapter, a peace that surpasses all understanding. There was a Superman comic book <laughs> that, uh, you know how the comic books go. They have the little squares, and you kind of read them out. And in this particular one, there was a building that was on fire. And there was a man standing in the window of the building that's on, on fire. And Superman sees this man. He looks up, and he flies up. He grabs the man out of the fire, and he begins to fly higher where the smoke and the, the fire, the heat, and all that can't touch him. And, and Superman, seeing the fear in his face from the fire, looks at him and says, I'm holding you. Why are you still so fearful? And the, and, and the man who, he's in the arms of Superman. Like, that, this Superman, like, Superman. He looks at Superman and says, well, what if you drop me on the way up? Superman looks at him and says, if I was capable of pulling you out of the fire, why would I drop you on the way up? Jesus wants you to know if he is capable of pulling you out of the fire, how is he going to drop you on the way up to eternity? He will not. Jesus is more powerful than Superman. <laughs> There's a kid's song. Faster than the flash. More, remember how the song goes. But we get in our head that Jesus isn't powerful enough to pull us out of the fire and to keep us out of the fire. 
We think that we got to stay burning. And Jesus never promised that the fire wouldn't burn you, but he did promise that he would be with you in the fire. And so you've got to say, I'm not going to drop you. Our closing verse to Philippians 4. Look at this as she reads this. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. When we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, no matter what comes your way, you can have joy knowing that God will not drop you on the way up. God will not drop you on the way up. When we look back over this series, you have to choose joy over your other emotions. You have to choose peace over anxiety. You have to choose contentment over complacency. In other words, it's your choice. God will not force himself upon you, but he will give you the opportunity to choose. And if you choose to follow Jesus, he will not drop you on the way up. Paul shows us in closing, I choose joy in your outline. I have found where my needs are really met. I will not be moved in thinking or believing anything else other than I can do all things through him who gives me strength because my God will, will supply every need that I have. As I live by my biblical convictions, I discover my joy is found not in my circumstances, but knowing I'm being made more like Christ each day. Thank you for tuning in today. For more content like this, visit our website, www.pathwaychurchok.com to see the variety of ways you can download this content and so much more. It's our pleasure that you would tune in and we believe that if you take the content you just heard, write down the parts that spoke to you and work on a plan to apply it, you will not be the same person a year from now. We hope today you can take this content, apply it, share it, let it change you and you can become all God has called you to become. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll be together again soon. Until then, keep growing.